Chapter Twenty Four of Wise and Otherwise. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Wise and Otherwise by Pansy. Chapter Twenty Four. If thou be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself. Exactly how far is it from here to Greenfield? Questioned Dell Bronson at the dinner table. Dell had been in Boston for three weeks since she last asked a question at this particular dinner table in the sales household. The noon train had returned her to them, and the family had been jubilant over her arrival. It's exactly thirty-seven miles if you take the morning express, but if you take that fearful noon accommodation on which you appeared today, it is a hundred and twenty-five miles at the very least. This from the host. Then I shall certainly take the morning express, laughed Dell. Abby, are you at all acquainted in Greenfield? Not in the least. What possible interest have you in Greenfield? Why, there is a certain Mrs. Ainsley, whose woebegone advertisement for a cook I cut out of the Greenfield Herald, and I'm going to call on her tomorrow. That is, if you are certain that you don't know a living soul in the length and breadth of the town. Dell, said Mrs. Sales in dignified tones, and with a becoming little flush on her fair face. Do you imagine that we are ashamed of you? No, said Dell gleefully. The only trouble is that I am ashamed of you. Imagine Mrs. Ainsley's cook being suddenly compelled to confront Mrs. Jerome Sales, who is out making calls on her Greenfield friends. Neither Mrs. Sales nor the cook would know how to manage the affair judiciously, I fear. The only friend I shall call on in Greenfield will be yourself, said Abby which you mustn't do. Mr. Sales, I look to you to keep this unwise wife of yours in order. I just expect to see her in velvet cloak and sable furs, marching around to Mrs. Ainsley's back door some time this winter, thus ruining my prospects forever. What did your uncle say to this precious scheme of yours? questioned Mr. Sales. Well, he was not so ready to listen to reason as he generally is. At least Aunt Laura wasn't and all those exhaustive arguments of mine about teaching had to be gone over, until they tired me so I was sorry I ever thought of them. Finally we compromised. If I fail in my first endeavor, I'm to come directly back to them, and never mention so absurd a scheme to them again. However, I don't mean to fail if I find Mrs. Ainsley in the least endurable. Behold Del Bronson the next morning, all her neat traveling attire, in its two exquisite shades of drab, packed carefully away in a trunk that was to be left in Mrs. Sale's storeroom, herself clad in a brown and white plaid gingham, a narrow white ruffle at her throat, a brown linen sack, and a round hat with plain brown trimmings. It is of no sort of use, Mrs. Douglas said. She had come in to witness this novel departure, and she held up her hands in comic despair. You will never do in this world. You look as neat and proper and as daintily dressed as though you were going on an autumn trip to Niagara. There is nothing on earth the matter with me, said Dell, coolly surveying herself in a full-length mirror, except that I haven't pink and yellow and blue and green and white all mixed up about me. I intend to teach Mrs. Ainsley better than to suppose that because her girl doesn't wear all the colors of the rainbow at once, she cannot therefore cook a beefsteak. I have an elegant brown apron in my valise, large enough to cover me all up and it has a bib and sleeves. I made it myself, and I look enchanting when I get it on. Her auditors didn't doubt it. Mrs. Sales and Mrs. Douglas had petitioned to be allowed to accompany her to the depot, 
and had been peremptorily refused on the plea that Mrs. Ainslie's three fashionable daughters might be on the train, coming down to Newton to do some shopping, and a scandal would at once be created. "'Has she three daughters?' exclaimed Mrs. Douglas in dismay. "'I presume so,' answered Dell coolly, though she didn't state it in her advertisement, and, as that is all I know about her, I may be mistaken. "'At least it will be perfectly proper for your former employer, whose vixen of a wife is sending you away, after unjustly accusing you of stealing thirteen handkerchiefs and all the silver spoons, to walk to the cars with you and carry the satchel,' said Mr. Sales, possessing himself of the article in question. And amid much more nonsense and laughter, and not without the suspicion of a tear in Mrs. Sales' eye, the two were finally started on their way to the depot. "'Mr. Sales, Uncle Edward showed me your letter,' Dell said, when they had walked far enough to have partly calmed down her gay spirits. "'Did he?' Mr. Sales answered. "'Then you ought to see his reply. It is one of the most precious letters I ever received in my life.' "'That is what he thinks about the one you wrote him.' He told me to thank you again for your thoughtful kindness. He said it seemed remarkable that entire strangers should be ready to rush to his aid. There is nothing remarkable about my letter, Mr. Sales said quickly. It was a very commonplace affair. I had a little money lying idle that I thought might as well be of use to him and be earning something at the same time, you know. I was almost ashamed to mention it, it was such a trifle, compared with what he had lost and with what I knew his Boston friends stood ready to furnish him, but I finally decided to offer what little I could. I really did not dream of calling forth such a burst of gratitude. When they reached the depot, and the preliminaries of ticket and baggage had been arranged, as Mr. Sales took a seat beside her to wait for the train, he said, Is it allowable to ask what Mr. Nelson thought of this new development in your bewildering self? Mr. Sales had the advantage of most gentlemen of his stamp, in that, when occasion required, he could lay aside his fondness for jesting, and be as gravely courteous as he had before been absurd. The consequence was that Dell felt entirely at ease with him, and answered his question promptly and frankly. Why, at first he did not understand, and had considerable to say about his salary and the utter want of occasion for my new plans. But he exercised his reason and common sense, much more promptly than the rest of you did, and is now thoroughly in accord with my ideas. Then Dell drew a letter from her pocket. Mr. Sales, I have a letter that I want to read to you. I think you will appreciate it. I begged it from Uncle Edward for this purpose, but he is very choice of it, and I am to return it the first time I write. And in low tones she read the brief letter. Newton, September 3, 18-something. To the Honorable E. G. Stockwell. Honored sir, I hope you will excuse the liberty I take in writing to you. I have thought about it a good deal today, and have decided that I can't help it. Your niece, Miss Bronson, has told me about your lost money. I am very sorry, a good deal sorrier than I can put on paper, but there is one verse that has been a great help all day, while I thought of what looks so like a muddle. All things work together for good. Now I hope you will forgive my boldness in this that I want to say. My boss has been very generous, and I have good pay. I've got a hundred dollars laid by that's of no kind of use to me, and I'd consider it a great favor if you'd take it, not to pay back again, sir, but just as a little token of how much I thank you for your wonderful kindness to me that first time I went to Boston, 
and you took me into your own carriage and treated me as if I was a man. It was that day I made up my mind to try hard to be somebody. What did he do for him? interrupted Mr. Sales, who seemed to know by instinct whose hand had written the letter. Just nothing, Uncle Edward says, nothing but the merest commonplace kindness. But he did it just as the poor fellow has put it. Uncle treated him like a man, as very few merchant princes would have treated him, such a looking object as he was. You have no idea how he looked. Mr. Sales, I'll tell you all about it the first time Mrs. Ainsley gives me leave of absence. This last with a merry gleam in her eyes. Then she read on. I've been trying since, and the Lord has taken hold of me, and I belong to him now. All the same, I am grateful to those that helped me when I must have looked as though there was nothing in me to help. So now, if you'll kindly take the hundred dollars that I enclose in this letter, I'll be much obliged to you. At first I was ashamed to send it, because it was such a little bit. But then Miss Bronson told me you had lost everything, and, thinks I, if it is only a drop in the bucket, every drop helps a little, and anyhow it will show my gratitude as well as if there was a lot of it. So in conclusion I ask you to forgive my boldness, and show me that you do so by keeping this little bit of money. I have prayed for you every day since I first learned how to pray, and I ain't afraid but the Lord will take care of you. But I didn't know any other way to show you how grateful I was, and I do hope and trust that I haven't offended you. Your obedient servant, James L. Forbes. The poor fellow, Mr. Sales exclaimed, with glistening eyes, as Dell folded the letter. Isn't it pitiful as well as funny? said Dell eagerly. I never saw Uncle Edward so moved. He told me that there had many things occurred to touch his heart since his riches took wings, but nothing that had melted him as this poor, simple-hearted fellow's offer of his all had done. How did he answer the letter? I don't know. I would have given something for the pleasure of seeing the answer, but he told me nothing about it. Only I know that he accepted the hundred dollars. Accepted it? said Mr. Sales in amazement. Yes, said Dell with dancing eyes. Isn't it splendid? I know just how happy it has made the great-hearted fellow, and Uncle Edward has ways of disposing of such a sum of money very advantageously. He told me to tell you he hoped you would not be offended that he gave poor Jim the preference, but that there was really no resisting his letter. I should think not, laughed Mr. Sales, and the splendid fellow has really given away his all, believing in the simplicity that that is to be the end of the matter? Oh, yes, indeed, he is as simple as a child about such things. Why should he not be? Just imagine what a sum one hundred dollars in the bank must have seemed to him. What will it seem when he sees it again? said Mr. Sales, still laughing. Well, I am glad of his good fortune, but I thought he was contemplating matrimony, did not you? Dell shook her head. Not for some years yet, I fancy. You know Jenny Adams is only sixteen, and Jim is but a boy. I dare say he hopes to have another hundred, perhaps two of them, by the time he is ready to marry. There is no telling to what wild flights his extravagant fancy may lead him. Mr. Sales, do you know there are things that puzzle me very much, this downfall of Uncle Edward's, for instance? Why should it have been? Not to discipline him, surely, for he was gold tried in the fire long before. Besides, it isn't going to last long enough for discipline. He is coming up already. Judge Winthrop told me about it. He says his immediate successes have been more marvelous than his reverses. 
that in five years from now, if he lives, he will unquestionably be a wealthier man than ever. Leonard Winthrop says he is raised up to be a second Job, to show modern Satans how some Christians can endure affliction. Nonsense aside, do you suppose there might be some such reason for his rapid and heavy reverses? My opinion is, said Mr. Sales, rising, that he probably lost his fortune in order to give Mrs. Ainsley a period of rest from the infirmities of ordinary cooks. There is the train, Dell. My respects to the lady in question, take care of yourself, and whatever you do, don't burn the beefsteak nor slap the baby. End of chapter 24 Recording by Tricia G.